Good to see all of you. I'm glad you're here. The Lord is glad you're here. If you would, grab your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, we continue our series through the book of Ephesians, looking at basic Christianity. Basic Christianity. And this morning, I want us to read verses 1 through 6. If you are willing and able, would you stand for the reading of God's Word at this time? Ephesians 2, verse 6, hear now, uh, verses 1 through 6, hear now the word of the true and living God. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us with Him, and seated us with Him, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Holy Father, as we are reminded of where we have come from, and also pointed to your marvelous mercy, love, grace, kindness toward us, we pray that your word would find its place in our heart, and that you would seal it there. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Basic Christianity, there are a number of core doctrines of the Christian faith that are present here in these verses. We have a, a biblical doctrine of humanity, our nature and who we are. You have a doctrine concerning sin, what it does to us. You have a doctrine concerning uh, the devil here. He's the prince of the power of the air that is mentioned there. You have the doctrine of final things, especially uh, the wrath of God. And so uh, hell uh, is in view in these verses. But then you also have a doctrine about God, a theology. And you have mention of a number of the attributes and characteristics of God. You have the doctrine of His mercy, the doctrine of the love of God. You have the doctrine of, of grace and how He has saved us by His grace. You have more about the doctrine of Christ, something that we saw last week and is continued here, now with an emphasis on our position with Christ. As you continue on through this text, you have more about the nature of salvation by grace through faith, our response, uh, which is one of faith. But also you have the reality of the new creation and the, the, the basic nature of the Christian life, which is one of good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. The 
major theme that runs throughout these verses is very simple. God made us alive in Christ Jesus when he saved us by grace through faith unto good works. But to get to the good news, there's the bad news. Verses 1 through 3 confronts us with the reality of our past condition. This is true of every single person on the planet, both then and now. We know this is true because Paul uses the universal language of all. We all once lived. We, he includes himself in this, the Apostle Paul, who, as we know from other texts, was, man, if if there were a Hebrew of Hebrews, it was Paul. If there was someone who by their very strict law-keeping could have been saved and declared righteous, it would have been Paul. That is not how righteousness comes. Indeed, in spite of all his good deeds, he identifies and says, we all once lived this way. We all once were dead in our trespasses and sins. You see, what Paul does here is he walks us through, I call it the carnival of filth, the carnival of disgust. He, as it were, adjusts his rearview mirror and says, see where you once came from? And all these fun wonderful attractions. You've got the course of this world. You've got following the the prince of the power of the air. Man, that was a a ride that just really blew your mind. You've got the ride of the Spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience, the the zeitgeist ride, the, the, the spirit of the age ride. You've got the rides of sin and trespass. A lot of people ride those rides a lot. You've got the ride of the passions of the flesh, the desires of the body and the mind. You have the ride of nature. By nature, we were children of wrath. Kind of a scary one, but again, that's everybody's on that ride too. This is the carnival, and Paul walks us through it, and he reminds us of all these rides that you, you, you had a wristband, and it was unlimited rides. Could write it any time you wanted, and you did. We all did. Verse one, and you being dead, and Paul uses what's called the historical present. We know that even though it is in the present tense, being dead, that it has to do with our past history because of the language of verse two. You once walked, you once lived this way. So he's talking about our past, even the past of these Christians in Ephesus. He's writing to faithful saints in Ephesus. Might as well be writing to us today. Yeah, we, you were dead in your trespasses and sins too. If you're working with a, a King James or New King James, you'll notice that there are some italicized words that are part of this verse. You, he hath quickened, I believe is what the King James says. You, he made alive is the New King James. And the reason those words are in italics is because they're not in the original language in this verse. It's true, you get down to uh, verse 5, and he'll talk about dead in trespasses, made alive in Christ. But you have to wait. I've heard that the King James translators, though, they they wanted to front load this with some good news before you had to walk through the bad news. Paul didn't do that, though. Paul goes, it's a straight nosedive for him. Here we go. You were dead dead. Not well and healthy. 
And so, therefore, you know, you're basically good and you're able to respond in a positive way, appropriately to God, without any divine aid. That would be a works-oriented salvation, or at least an attempted one. It can never be done. No, you weren't well, you weren't healthy. Paul doesn't even talk here about being sick. I know there are passages in Scripture that talk about, compares sin to sickness and that sort of thing. Paul didn't go there, though. It's not that you were sick or, or unwell. And so, you know, you were kind of alive, but you had the hope of appropriately utilizing and applying the medicine of grace to yourself. No, that's not it either. He says you were dead. Dead as a hammer. Dead as a doornail. You were, you were unable to respond appropriately to God. Now, that doesn't mean that you didn't respond to God at all. You did. It was just negative. You took the truth of God and you suppressed it in righteousness. You took the good gifts of God and you squandered them on your own sinful desires and pleasures of the body and mind. You were unable to respond in a way doing what was pleasing to God. Paul talks about this. Those who are in the flesh are unable to please God, he says elsewhere in Romans chapter 8. And so, yeah, we were, we were dead even while we were alive. You know, Paul, ta- Paul talks about a, uh, a widow who is dead even while she lives over in 1 Timothy chapter 5. You see, that's true. You were physically alive, but spiritually you were dead. There are some who think that Paul is leaning into the Genesis account where you had chaos, then God brings order out of chaos, and then you have creation, or in this case, a new creation in these 10 verses. If Paul is uh, leaning on the Genesis account, then I think he has in mind the original word and the original promise from God. The original command from God was, you can eat of any tree, just don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And if Paul is thinking about the Genesis account, that's what I think he has in mind is we die. We've died spiritually because we've sinned. We're dead in our trespasses and our sins. And a lot of the times uh, people respond negatively to God, again, in suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. We're active in our rebellion, active in our sin and in our trespasses. Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about people, they love their sin. They love darkness rather than light. Again, that's, that's the bad news, and again, that's where everybody starts. But we, we know where this is going, especially for Christians. We know the good news of grace. But being Christians, I think this ought to be a reminder of how we ought to see the people around us day by day, those we come in contact with, our friends, our neighbors, our relatives. We need to see them as dead, too. They're, they're, we're surrounded by a cemetery. We're surrounded by the walking dead. Yeah, spiritual zombies, dead even while they live. They wear, as Isaiah, we, in our Sunday morning Bible class uh, last week, we talked about Isaiah 25 and how people, uh, they, they wear the casket clothes, the death mask, the shroud and the sheet that covers the dead body. They're dead, just like you used to be. But God, getting ahead of ourselves, but God. He did something, and, and we'll see what that something is. He worked a work in our life. He can work a work in theirs as well. Uh, Paul uses two words here for sin, trespass and sin. The word sin is just a general term for sin. You may have heard uh, uh, about the, the way this term was used in the past. It was an archer's term. It had to do with missing the mark. I think we've even talked about this before. 
as well, missing the mark. There's the mark, the target. Again, it's an illustration of the idea. There's the target. You're supposed to hit the bullseye, but instead you missed the mark. You fired and it went to the left or it went to the right or it went too far or it went too short or maybe you were fired in a completely opposite direction because that's rebellion, right? Sin. Trespass, that's a term that we recognize. You know, you see a no trespassing sign. There's a boundary. There's a line. And what do we do? We crossed it, right? We, we walked across it. We've already come across these terms earlier, uh, this term trespass earlier back in 1 and verse 7, how God has forgiven us of all of our trespasses. But here it is again, and we were dead because of our trespasses. You know, in, in some cases, when you cross a no trespassing boundary, if you're on someone's property, right, that, that could cost you your life depending upon who lives there. Well, in this case, because we have trespassed a boundary established by a holy God, it meant we died. It meant spiritual death. We know, again, uh, that uh, it's spiritual death and not physical death because of verse 2, in which you once walked, you once lived this way. This was your lifestyle. This was your habitual practice. Walking in the New Testament and, and in Scripture generally, this is sometimes is used as a metaphor to talk about a, a person living. You just walk around in this life. You live your life. But then Paul introduces, again, those, those carnival rides, the, the carnival of disgust here. He talks about following the course of this world. Here's the, the first thing that is opposed to life with God. It's the course of this world. The world here, uh, it, this, it literally could be the age of this world, the ages of this world. And I think this is akin to the spirit at work now, although Paul has in mind there the evil one, but th there is a course, there is a, a spirit of this world. There is a spirit of the age, a zeitgeist. There's a way in which this world goes and follows along. It was the case back in, in Paul's day. There was a certain course that uh, people just kind of took for granted, a particular view of the world, a worldview that people took for granted and viewed the world through it. I think you see this in the book of Acts. Toward the end of the book of Acts, after the uh, Paul and his companions experience a shipwreck. They land on an island, and as they're uh, working to build a fire, uh, they, they built this fire, and once the fire is built, out jumps a snake from the woodpile, and it, it bites Paul. This viper latches onto him, and it's this poisonous snake. He, the, the natives see this, and they're like, oh, he's going to die, right? Because even though he's escaped the sea, justice has seen to it that he's going to die from the snake bite. He hasn't escaped justice. Where did they get this idea? It sounds an awful lot like karma, right? It's always been around. It's, it's the invention of pagan religions. It's the invention of humans from their, the darkness of their thinking. Paul shakes the snake off into the fire. It dies and they wait, those natives, they wait, and they're like, any second now, but he doesn't. So what do they end up doing? He must be a god, right? That's how they viewed him after that. Again, there's a certain course of the world in which Paul lived. There's a course that exists in our world as well. And sometimes it sounds an awful lot like karma, right? What goes around comes around and all that jazz. Wholly unbiblical, by the way. 
I think a lot of the times it sounds an awful lot like folks that uh, they just kind of live their life as though God doesn't exist. It manifests itself in a worldview that sees this world as all there is. And so you've got to get all you can while you can because all you have is this life. It consumes the doctrine of Darwin, which says that we're just elevated monkeys, elevated primates. That we, we came from the goo and we're going back to stardust. We're sacks of mostly water fizzing away according to our chemical compounds within our, our brains. Neurons firing away. That's all, that, that's all we are. We are simply material machines. That's the course of this world. And I'm going to tell you, it starts very early. The indoctrination process starts very early. My own experience was in kindergarten. I may have shared this before. In kindergarten, I came home. I told my mom what I learned in school that day. We came from monkeys. She said, no, you didn't. Because we didn't. We are. Now, here's, here's the contrasting worldview, ready? The biblical worldview is you are the special creation of a good God who has put you in this world, you are made in His image, you are an image bearer, and he, he continually blesses you with good things, even while you, in your spiritual death, take those good gifts and use them for your own selfish purposes and sin. Wow, what a loving God, what a loving Creator. No, there is more to this world than meets the eye. And we are more than just material machines. We have a soul, we have a spirit, and we will have to give account one day to God for every thoughtless word and deed and act and, and thought. No, this course of this world, that's, again, what we once followed. No, no longer. We don't follow that anymore. Also, following the prince of the power of the air. Again, this is another thing that is opposed to God, to life with God. And this is, this is Paul's way here of talking about the devil, longhand for Satan. He's pictured here as the prince, the ruler of the power of the air. He's the, he's the leader of all the spiritual bad guys, all the demons, all the... Remember we talked last week about the rule, authority, power, dominion, all those, all those are terms that have to do with the spiritual, uh, the, the, the spiritual realm. And Christ is greater than all those we saw last week. But here is the main bad guy, Satan, the devil, the dragon. And before we became Christians, before God entered in and did a work in our lives, we followed after him. He was the Pied Piper, and we were just following along, dancing to his particular tune as we, as we went along. And we were enslaved to sin. We were enslaved to hell. We were enslaved to the devil. This was, again, the reality of our past condition. He's a very, listen to how Paul talks about him. He's a very real spiritual power, a very real spiritual being. He's not some myth. He's not even just like a force. He really does influence this world. And we followed after him. He is the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. The devil's still at work in this world. He hasn't gone away. It's true. Christ has uh, disarmed him and, and uh, begun 
the defeat of the spiritual forces of darkness by taking back territory as his kingdom expands into this world. But he's still at work. He's doing all he can to try and tear apart the work of God, the church. Doing all he can to make sure. And really, he, with us, he does have to try really, really hard. Because we love God and we love Christ. For the world, though, he doesn't have to try that hard. Because, again, people love their sin. They love darkness rather than light. And so they, they just follow after him. They're surrendered to Satan. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one, John tells us in 1 John chapter 5. That's the lazy boy. Just recline back and no thought of getting out. Those who are not surrendered to God are subject to Satan. They don't even realize how harsh a taskmaster he is. The sons of disobedience, that, uh, uh, that's Paul's way here of talking about those who are not sons of God. They're children of the devil. And again, it's because of sin in their life. Among whom, again, notice, Paul, that's Paul's way of talking about people in the world, but that's where we all came from. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived. That, that's where we came from. We're no better than they are. The difference is God. The difference is Christ. It's not because you're more intelligent or you're more spiritual or you're, you have a spiritual pedigree that you can lean into. The difference is God and the difference is Christ. The difference is the grace of God. We all once lived there. We all once rode the rides Paul, again, he includes himself there. We all did this B.C., before Christ. Before we experienced the life-giving reality where God made us alive together with Him, raised us up with Him, seated us with Him. This is our life, B.C., before Christ. He goes on, and we lived in the passions of our flesh. The flesh in Paul's writing, and it seems he may be uh, thinking about this in, in this particular uh, text here. The flesh is that bit within us that is opposed to God. It's that bent within us that is away from God, that inclines us away from Him. And that flesh has passions. It has desires. And so we, we lived in the passion of, those, uh, of our flesh. We gave in to those desires, in other words. We also carried out the desires of the body and the mind. So, again, those desires exist. Those desires lead to acts and those, those actions. It's part of those sins. But also notice these desires, these are distorted desires. They're disordered desires. They're desires that are not in keeping with the desires of God and, and the Spirit and all those things. These are desires that are opposed to God. And so, our mind, it starts in the mind, and then from the mind it issues forth to our body. And we're by nature children of wrath. There, there was a thought among the Jewish people in one of their texts, the book of Wisdom, 13 verse 1, 
They thought the, the Gentiles were ignorant of God by nature. And here is Paul just smashing that to bits. It's probably a Jewish tradition he may have been familiar with, being a Pharisee of Pharisees. But now that he has come into Christ, and now that he has received Holy Spirit revelation, he knows, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're all by nature children of wrath. That is, our heritage is the wrath of God because of sin again. Sin is what brings the wrath of God. The wrath of God presently abides those who are in disobedience, the sons of disobedience, those who refuse to obey the Son. That is Jesus. They were under, Paul includes himself, he was under the judgment of God like the rest of mankind. So we see here, quick summary, there are three fatal guides that we all once followed and that the world continues to follow right now. All of our lost friends and neighbors and family members, they all follow this as well. Ready? These three guides. Number one, the world. Number two, the flesh. Number two, number three, the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They're all, they're all mentioned here. The world is the course of this world. The devil, he's the prince of the power of the air. And the flesh, that's all those passions of the flesh and all the, 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 the desires and all that of the flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And when you follow these guides, you end up with trespasses and sins. There's other words in the Bible like iniquity. All of them describing the same thing. But it leads to this very dark condition, a dark reality of our past condition, which is this. We are morally, spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. We are worldly in our practice. That's following the course of this world. We are satanically ruled following the prince of the power of this air. We are associated with other sons of disobedience. That's the fellowship that we find with other fallen members of humanity. We are carnally debased. That's the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we are also perilously situated as children of wrath. The judgment of God rests upon us. That's the bleak picture of life away from God. No wonder, and we'll see this in a couple of weeks, when he talks about those who are separated from Christ in verse 12, they are without hope. It's a hopeless situation. Hopeless. And, and we, we all once lived there. But God. Two, I mean, single syllable words put together just to have a profound impact. It's the difference God makes in a life. But God, when night was the darkest, there was the light. But God, when we, were, when we were dead as a hammer, that's when God brought new spiritual life. But God. You know, I know we can kind of cover up the truth of things, but I think when it comes to the reality of this, it's unmistakable. Uh, what I mean is, uh, suppose uh, we were to go down to a local funeral home and, and we went to 
the place where they did the embalming of the bodies. And they have a couple of bodies that are on the table. And one has been dead for three hours. One has been dead for three months. One, I mean, it just maybe looks like they're sleeping because they've only been dead for a short time. The other one is well, it's in advanced decomposition and that's, that's dead. What if I asked you, which one of these two is deader? Is, is, is one more dead than the other? No, they're both dead, right? We're just, we're just talking about uh, now the length of time they've been dead. The thing is, again, one is not more deader than the other. And, and look, someone can look just as good and cleaned up in their life, still dead if they're disconnected from Christ. One can look maybe, you know, so-so okay, they're kind of holding things together, they're still dead, disconnected from Christ. Someone may, man, they've just, they've given in to the ugliness of sin, and, and it's evident in their life. Some people's sins are conspicuous. They're still dead too, separated from Christ. But whether it's the good, the bad, or the ugly, even though a person is dead in their trespasses and sins, God can make a difference. But God. And, and notice, why is it that God does what He does? We had a, a, a question that came uh, via Facebook on one of our posts. about you know why, why is it that God chose me, even though I'm a sinner? You feel the weight of that, don't you? You know, I know, I'm a sinner too. Why is he, why did he do this? And in these verses, there are four characteristics of God that are brought to the forefront that I, I think may give us a glimpse into this. First, but God, being rich in mercy. It's the mercy of God. Mercy is when we don't get what we deserve. That's, that's the courtroom scene where you're, you're guilty of the crime. You've done the crime. You're guilty. And, and the, the verdict has even come down. We find you guilty on our, all counts. What do you deserve? Punishment. Whatever the punishment is for that crime. But instead, mercy says, dismissed. Mercy. God is, ready? Rich in mercy. His mercy uh, is, if, if, his, if, mercy, if God's mercy was a bank account, you couldn't put a dollar figure on it. That's how rich He is in mercy. That's why we don't get, we deserve wrath. We deserve His judgment. We don't get it because of His mercy. Mercy is one. Second is love. Because of the great love with which He loved us. Notice it doesn't just say He loved us. He loved us with a great love. Don't miss that. Paul includes there the descriptor of it. It's not just the love that He loved us with. It's a great love. You see, I think it's true. Scripturally speaking, yeah, 
God loves the whole world, absolutely. And He's good to everybody, whether they're righteous or unrighteous, wicked or godly, doesn't matter. He causes His sun to shine and His rain to go on everybody. He is a good creator who blesses us continually. Whether we're righteous or unrighteous, sinner or godly, doesn't matter. He loves everybody. But for us, it's a great love. For His children. I think we, I think we understand this even in our own context, right? And I, you know, we, we have a number of kids here in this church, right? I, I think you'll agree with me. We love our kids here, right? And we, we love the, the, you know, the holy distraction, as it were, when, when we hear a, a baby cry out. Mm, that's, that's a good thing. We love that. A little, one of our kids being too loud. And then, look, I'm conscious of it, right? I got three little boys, and they can be loud, right? And we're like, shh, I get it. But it's a good thing. We love our kids here. I'm going to tell you this. I love my kids more than I love your kids. And that's okay. That's okay. Because they're my kids. We have a lot of sisters in the church here who, uh, you know, like I've got my wife, right? And you rather have your wife and your wife, right? I love my sisters in Christ. I love my wife more than I love your wife. That's a good thing. That's a proper thing, right? God loves the whole world, absolutely. He has a great love for His children. A great love with which He loved us. Someone said it this way, mercy takes away misery, love confers salvation. When God sees our deadness and He offers us life out of the great love with which He loved us. But then it goes further. Just a a recapitulation here. Paul repeats himself. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. Paul actually coins three terms as far as we can tell in in these verses. Verses 5 and 6. Made us alive together with... That's all one word in the original language. That's how they did their words in their language, okay? We have to have several words that we pull together to to, uh, translate one, but made alive together with, verse 6, raised us up with Him. Raised us up with, that's another word that Paul seems to coin here. And then seated us with. All those are, are one word in the original that Paul seems to have come up with according to his sanctified genius and intellect in order to communicate to us the difference that Christ makes and what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. But why did he he made us alive together with him? Why? By grace you've been saved. Ah, here's the third, grace. Mercy, love, grace. We'll find out and we'll have to dig into this next week. In verse 8, it's not your own doing, right? You didn't do this. You didn't earn grace because that's the nature of grace. You You don't earn it. It's unmerited. Grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve salvation. Again, notice where we came from, right? Our heritage, our past. We saw it in the rearview mirror grace. It's God's grace that He he did this. That's that's what's at the heart of this spiritual resurrection that God has to work. 
Notice he made us alive. He brought us back from the dead. What Jesus did for Lazarus physically, that's what God does for us spiritually in Christ. Remember we talked about this last week, same power. The same power that God exerted to raise Christ physically from the dead is the same resurrection power that's at work to bring us to spiritual life. Why grace? Because He's a gracious God. It's an unmerited favor from God. So by grace you've been saved. And again, Paul's going to repeat that in verse 8, and we'll look at that in more detail next week. But there's one more, and we didn't read this verse, but we do need it. It's it's verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. There it is again. So when it comes to God's grace, he's rich in grace, but notice he's immeasurably rich in grace, right? Paul just keeps compounding this. But notice the immeasurable riches of his grace, ready, in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's the fourth term, ready, kindness. (laughs) Kindness. It seems to be related to uh, earlier in, in chapter 1 where Paul had talked about the, uh, the kindness of God. The, the, uh, it's, it, he has a good will toward us. You ever think about that? I think some people, when they think about God, God, He's out to get me. He's, he's up there with a little black book just keeping tabs on me. And, you know, every time I mess up, mm, there's another one, right? That is not the way that God is presented toward us, brothers and sisters. He's kind toward us. He has a, do you really believe that God has a good will, a positive disposition toward you? He does. And this is why we can call God our Father, Christ our brother, the Holy Spirit our helper, is because of the kindness of God. He's kind. He has, again, that good will toward us. Again, why? I think we get close here. The riches of His mercy, the immeasurable riches of His grace, the great love with which He loved us, and His kindness toward us. This is the revelation of God's salvation toward us. We have the reality of our past, now we have the revelation of God's kindness, God's goodness, God's grace in salvation toward us. It's a, a marvelously sweet thing. And by the way, this is, this is all throughout the pages of the New Testament where we see that, that it is salvation by grace. Jews, Gentiles alike. All sinners who come to God by grace faith. I will say one more thing. Salvation. By grace you've been saved. And, and there's a, a sense throughout all of Scripture about uh, we, we were saved in the past, we are being saved right now, and, and there's more in store when we will be saved in the future. But in order to be saved, it requires a Savior. 
And all throughout this, Paul is careful to note, we are made alive together with Christ. That's union language. We've been united to Christ. Uh, He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There's our Savior. And it is because of what Christ did when He took on, He left heaven, took on flesh, lived on this fallen, broken, sinful planet, the sinless life you and I could never live, went to the cross, shed His blood, died on the cross for your sins and mine in our place. He takes the punishment due us, the wrath of God fully exhausted upon Him, buried, raised three days later, and ascended back to the Father's right hand. It is because of what Christ did that we sinners who were dead in our trespasses and sins now have new spiritual life. We're united to Him by faith. Scripture also talks about how when we are baptized, we are united with Him in His death, burial, and resurrection. And now we live life with Him. It is because of Christ that we can call God our Father and that we have the Spirit within us to help us. Again, this is the difference God makes. But God, when things were at their worst and we were doing our worst, but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. Let's contest a prayer. Gracious Father, we are staggered by just how merciful and loving and gracious and kind you are toward us, and indeed toward all who will look to you through Christ. We pray, Father, that that we would never lose sight of this very great gift that you have given us, and it is a gift that we would never take it for granted, and that we would live our lives in accordance with it. We thank you for making all the difference in our life. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, let me start here. There There is a temptation to hear about salvation by grace and unfortunately, some folks have taken it this way, to think, well, you know, hey, I'm saved by grace. All the other income free, do whatever I want. Because there's so much in this text, we didn't get to it, but we're going to hammer it next week. Verse 10. Verse 10 shows us the error of that. We have been created, recreated in Christ for good works. My brother, my sister, the, the challenge of this text is, how, how are we living in accordance with God's grace? How have you been living your life as a Christian? When we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6, Paul's really going to tamp down and drill down, and, and we're going to see. I mean, it, it climbs up into our lap, eats our lunch every day of the week, right? But as you consider your life and evaluate how you've been living, 
Maybe you recognize that there are these areas in your life that are not fully surrendered to Christ. You've been doing things that you ought not to be doing. You need the help that comes from God, the help that comes from your brothers and sisters here at the church. In a moment, you know that when rest leaves us, that's your opportunity to come forward and, and express these things that are on your heart, and, and we'll surround you with love, and we'll lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. My friend, you're here this morning, and you've heard the gospel of, of what God has done in this world through Christ on your behalf. But if you've not believed in Christ, and if you've not confessed Him as Lord, if you've not been obedient to the gospel by being baptized, immersed in water, have all your sins washed away by the blood of Christ, raised to live new life with God, my friend, you are separated from Christ, and, and, and you are still under the judgment and wrath of God for your sin. And, and our plea to you this morning is flee from the wrath of God. Run to Christ. Run to His cross. And be obedient to Him in all things. And in a moment, my friend, when Russ leads us in a song, that's your opportunity as well to come forward and express how you desire to do just that this morning. We can help you with that. Maybe it's something uh, not related to what we've been talking about exactly, but something weighing upon your heart. It could be something physical or spiritual, mental, emotional, what have you. Well, the invitation is for you as well. You know in a moment when we're singing, come forward and Unburden these things that are on your heart, and we'll surround you with love and lift you up in prayer. If it's something of a private nature, you want a more intimate setting, uh, maybe not in front of everybody, one of our shepherds can meet you in the conference room. And uh, you can share with them what's on your heart there. And our shepherd will do with you there what we do here, surround you with love and lift you up in prayer to our Father in heaven. The lesson is yours. The invitation is open. Won't you come right now while we stand and as we sing?